Well, today we're back in our message series, Change Your World. In this series, we're looking at uh, passages throughout the New Testament that speak to how we can influence, how we can impact our world. And when we look around us at the news, at the media, at what's going on in our world, the fact that there are problems is evident. The fact that everyone is not following God is evident as well. And we long for a better world. How many people here would like to see more good news and less bad news? We long for a better world. And our temptation as believers then is to grumble, to complain, to criticize. You know, what is this world coming to? Have you ever felt like saying that? I cannot believe what's happening out there. I, you know, everything is just going in the wrong direction. Now, is it right for us as believers to grumble and complain about the ungodliness in the world? Everyone's scared to answer that question. Uh, what do you think? I, I don't think God's word wants us to do that. God's word tells us not to complain, not to grumble about what's going on. Not to complain or grumble or worry about anything. It really doesn't accomplish anything, does it? And it certainly doesn't uh, present a warm witness to the people that we want to become believers. Now, this is not to say that we must never point out sin in the world. But we must do it in a way that does not just heap judgment on people. We must do it in a way that there's a problem, and we have the solution. There's a problem. If you have a problem in your life, there is a solution. And that solution is Jesus Christ. The answer to every problem in our world is Jesus. There's no problem in our world that's too big for him. There's no problem in our world that we need to fear. Because Jesus, the Bible tells us, has overcome the world. The answer for the problems of any particular person that you meet, any particular person that you know, even though they may seem overwhelming, the answer for that person's problems is found in the person of Jesus Christ. That person's problems will be solved as they become a disciple of Jesus. And so how do we change our world, the world that we see around us, the world that we would like to see a better place? How do we change it? By making disciples of Jesus of the people in the world. Now today I want to talk about the cost of following Jesus. Sometimes believers, sometimes churches, we so want people to become a follower of Jesus Christ that we kind of sugarcoat what it means to be a Christian. We say things like, and I almost said it at the beginning of this message, come to Jesus and all your problems will be gone. Well, not exactly. If you come to Jesus, your problems with sin will diminish and eventually become less and less. But you're going to have some new problems when you come to Jesus. There's something called persecution. The devil puts a mark on your back when you become a Christian, a target, and you have to endure some things as a believer. All too often we make it we make it 
seemed very easy to become a believer in Jesus Christ, and yet Jesus often talked about the difficulty of becoming a follower of his. Now today we're going to be looking at a passage from Luke chapter 14, and I just thought, before we, and he talks about the difficulty of following uh, Jesus, about following himself, but I just thought it fun to look back over the few chapters before and see some of the things that Jesus said. In Luke 6, 22, Let's see how we could use this one to entice people to become Christians. Jesus said, Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. I'm going to sign up for that one. Okay, I just love being hated. Well, that's what happens when you become a follower of Jesus. Luke 9.62 Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. You mean I have to leave all kinds of things behind when I follow Jesus? I think that's what he was saying. Put your hand to the plow to follow him. You don't look back. Luke 12, 5. I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after the killing of the body has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Jesus was speaking to his disciples. I thought God was love. It's like, I've got to fear him. Luke 13, 24. Jesus said, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. It doesn't sound like it's an easy thing to become a follower of Jesus. It says many people are trying to and they they can't. Now today we're going to look at another teaching of Jesus. And in Luke chapter 14, he instructs us that to be a disciple of, of his, to be a disciple of Jesus, takes everything that we have. It's not an easy thing. And so Jesus is going to challenge us today to give everything we have to him. He wants people to count the cost of following him before they start to call him Lord or before they start to call themselves Christian. And we as believers must challenge others to count the cost as well. So let's look at what Jesus has to say about what it takes to be a disciple of Jesus. Our passage today begins in verse 25 and it says, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and and turning to them, he said, Now, in your bulletins is a white page. I encourage you to take it out. It has the verses written out that we're going over this morning. On the flip side is some questions that will help you dig in a little more deeper. I'd encourage you to either go to a life group tonight, and we'll be talking about those questions and discussing them so that you can apply them to your life. Or if you can't make it to one this week, I encourage you to look at those on your own. And so large crowds were following Jesus. When you, when you read through the Gospels, you find something intriguing about, about Jesus, which is really not the way a lot of churches function today. It seems that just as his popularity grows in any part of the Gospels, and more and more people are coming to follow after him, Jesus says some very difficult things. He says some hard things. And it tends to drive people away. We see this happen time after time. People start following and then Jesus says something very difficult. And people, I don't know if I want to keep on following him. 
He talks about what it really means to be his followers. Now, immediately prior to the, to the account we're going to look at right now, Jesus told a parable about a man who prepared a large banquet. And he invited many, many guests. And in his parable, in his story, the guests who were invited to the banquet all had excuses. Well, I've got to do this first before I can come. I, no, I, I think I'm going to do something else. I, I can't come to your banquet right now. Maybe someday in the future, but they all procrastinated. They delayed responding to the invitation. And Jesus said some pretty harsh things. He said, those who delayed, those who refused to come to the banquet would never be allowed in. The door would be shut. Their opportunity would be passed. Now the banquet he was speaking of was the kingdom of heaven. And now Jesus in these verses is going to make it even clearer what it takes to be his disciple. In order to be a disciple of Jesus, you need to love Jesus more than your family. Verse 26. And these are often called, these difficult sayings, the hard sayings of Jesus. And a lot of preachers don't talk about him. But we're going to talk about it this morning. Verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, if you're like most people, there's one word in there that kind of jumps out at you. What word is that? Hate. Well, let's not get too hung up on that word hate. What Jesus is saying is that the commitment of his disciples to him must be greater than their commitment to their families. In essence, it must be so great the difference, it would be as if you were loving him and hating your family. That's how big the difference would be. A lot of times Jesus says things to get our attention, but we need to look at the whole context of Scripture before you go home and tell your spouse you hate her, okay? If you're a husband, please don't do that. If you're a wife, don't do that. Matthew 10, 37. Jesus puts it another way. We don't have it written out, but he said, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. That's what he's saying here, but he's trying to get our attention. You must love Jesus more than your family. Now, why did he say that? Because a lot of people... Put loving their family as first place in their life. It seems like a good thing. It is a good thing to love your family when you love Jesus much, much more. What does it mean to love Jesus more than your family? Well, you do what Jesus tells you. You do what God's word tells you no matter what your family thinks. Now, of course, the issue comes to a head when a member of your family is not a believer. The issue comes to a head when a member of your family is no longer following Jesus Christ. They may have fallen away or, or become weak in their walk with him. Or then, it, then this really comes to bear. And what do you do? Many people just try to keep peace at home. That's what I want to do. I just want to keep peace at home. But if... Keeping peace at home means that you're disobeying Jesus. Then that's not the right thing to do. Jesus says, you cannot be my disciple if you don't love me so much more than your family. 
And so you keep on following Jesus. You keep on obeying him no matter what the consequences are in your family. Now, of course, we need God's wisdom with that because we want to see the members of our family saved and walking with God as well. But we obey what Jesus has to say. In fact, here, Jesus says that you must hate your own life in order to be his disciple. That doesn't mean you go around saying, I hate myself. That's kind of neurotic. That's not right, you know. Uh, if you're supposed to love others as we love ourselves, uh, it's hard to love others if we hate ourselves. <laughs> okay, but what Jesus is saying here again, he's using that word to get our attention. It means that we say in life, it's not my will, but it's your will. In comparison to what you want me to do and what I want to do, I'm going to choose your way every time. I'm not going to do in life what I want to do. I'm going to do what you want to do with me. My life means nothing to me except as I follow Jesus Christ. And so we need to love Jesus and uh, love Jesus more than our family, more than ourselves. In fact, he says, in order to be his disciple, you must die to yourself and follow him. He says in verse 27, anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, to carry the cross of Jesus, it doesn't mean wearing a necklace with a cross on it. There's nothing wrong with that. It's kind of a popular thing. Have you noticed that? It's just like about every celebrity now has a little cross on somewhere. It's kind of a popular thing. But to carry your cross means to die to yourself. It means to die to your desires. If Jesus was living today, he might say, and anyone who does not carry his electric chair and follow me cannot be my disciple. Or he's looking at me confused. You know, the electric chair is a means of capital punishment. So we should wear little necklaces with a little electric chair. Now that'd be kind of gross, right? I mean, kind of disgusting. Well, that's what it was in Jesus' day. You see, the cross was a cruel, torturous method of capital punishment for the very worst of criminals. And it was done in public. Everybody could see these crucifixions. And so Jesus was saying, anybody does, who does not carry his cross and follow me is not worthy of being a, my disciple. Jesus carried a cross. He died upon it that you and I might be saved. He carried a cross because he loved you. And he loved me. And so, in the same way, he commands us to carry our crosses because we love him. And because we love other people. To die to what we want to do and to be alive to what he wants for us. And so a disciple of Jesus makes a choice to die. In a sense, not physically, but die to our desires. Die to our will and make a decision to follow Jesus. Now, each and every day of our lives, we live following something or someone. And Jesus says that his disciples are to follow only him. Each and every day we live, we follow somebody else or we follow ourselves or we follow Jesus. And so in order to follow Jesus, we've got to stop following other things and follow him alone. We've got to leave those things behind. And that's a process that all of us are going through, leaving things behind 
to follow only Jesus. Leaving things behind we used to follow. Leaving things behind that used to be our priorities, that used to be the things that we live for and following him alone. So I'd like us to watch a video called Leave, Follow. Is there anything in your life that you're still holding on to? You haven't left behind to follow Jesus? Is there anything? Today God wants you to give it up, to leave it behind, whatever it costs. It's worth the price to follow and become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, when we talk today about being a disciple of Jesus, of following Him, I want to make it clear that there are only two classes of people in the world. There are those who are saved and those who are lost. Sometimes when I talk about being a disciple of Jesus, there's people will think, well, you know, I, I've, I'm a Christian, you know, but I'm not yet a disciple. You know, a disciple is a hard thing. All these things, it's a hard thing to be a disciple. But, I, you know, I want to go to heaven. But, you know, I, I don't get this disciple thing. You know, that was those 12 back then, right? Those were the disciples. And, you know, I'm not cut out to be a disciple like those guys. And so, I just want to go to heaven. Well, there's not three classes of people in the world. There's not people who go to heaven and then a higher class of disciples. There's only two classes of people in the world, those who are saved and those who are lost. The disciple of Jesus Christ is a saved person. And those are the people that are going to go to heaven. And so when Jesus calls people to be his disciples, he's saying, are you going to believe in me? Do you want the gift of eternal life? If you're not a disciple of Jesus Christ, then you're lost and your eternal destiny is hell. There's only, the Bible is very simple, there's only two classes of people in the world. Those who are saved, those who are disciples of Jesus, and those who are not. So let's look a little further at what Jesus has to say about counting the cost of being a disciple of Jesus. The most important decision that anybody can make in their life is the decision whether to be a disciple of Jesus or not. Whether to follow Jesus or not. Whether to believe in Jesus or not. Those are all the same things, just using different words. Jesus now tells this crowd that's following him two parables designed to get them to realize that there is a cost, a great cost, to being a disciple of Jesus. A first question people, uh, Jesus wants people to look at, are you willing to give Jesus all your finances? Let's look at the story that he gives to us in verse 28. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not... First, sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it. For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. You ever seen a building that was like halfway built and then it's just the skeleton is standing there? That's what Jesus is talking about. Somebody started... Something happened, they ran out of money, and there it stood, halfway finished. And let's look at that. Somebody hadn't planned very well. And so in this story, Jesus compares becoming his disciple with a man wanting to build a tower. It's going to take a lot of money to build a tower. Now, this was a big thing, and the man needs to count the cost of building this entire tower to make sure he has enough to finish it. If he only has enough to build the foundation... Why start? 
you need to make sure, you need to plan, you need to count the cost to see that you can finish this building project. And Jesus is saying that becoming a disciple of Jesus is like undertaking to build a huge tower. And as we'll see in a few minutes, Jesus is going to say it's going to take everything you have. It's going to take all your finances. People who want to follow Jesus need to understand that it's going to take 100% of the resources that you have. Everything you have. All your heart, all your mind, all your soul. Everything that's been entrusted to you. It's going to take that to be a follower or disciple of Jesus Christ. Now in this story, the builder, if the builder can't complete the project, he'll be ridiculed. And we don't want to be ridiculed. Jesus is saying, you don't want to start something with me that you can't finish, that you don't understand what it's going to take. Next question Jesus asked with the story is, are you willing to give Jesus all your plans? Verse 31. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. So in this case, Jesus is comparing the person who wants to be his disciple with a, with a king who had 10,000 men under his command. And he's being attacked by an army of 20,000 men. And so he's outnumbered two to one. Not a good situation. So what should he do? It would be foolhardy to go to war when you're outnumbered two to one. You're not going to win. You're going to be defeated badly. You might be killed. Everybody might be wiped out. And so the weaker king considers the cost of going to war and he decides this is not going to work. I'm going to go basically and surrender and see what terms I can get with the opposing king. Now, if the king had not counted the cost, if he'd gone ahead and fought this war, uh, he would have suffered total destruction. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying in the same way, some people have a lot of their own plans in life. I want to do this. I want to do that. And... They do not count the cost of going their own way in life. If you live life for yourself, if you live life for your own plans, if you live life to do what you want to do, like this weaker king, one day, you're going to end up being sent to destruction by King Jesus. A much stronger king than yourself. A lot of people think, I'll do what I want to do. I don't care what Jesus says. I don't care what God's word says. I'm going to live my life the way I want to live it. I'm going to do my own thing. There's a great cost to living like that. And on Judgment Day, the stronger king is going to stand before those who've lived life their own way, lived life according to their own plans, and he's going to send them to a place they don't want to go. He's going to send them to a place of total and utter destruction. And Jesus is saying, count that cost of standing before me on judgment day and having nothing to say. And surrender to me now. Surrender your life to me now. Come to peace with your God. Count the cost. 
So the bottom line in both of those stories is that in order to become a disciple of Jesus, you must give Jesus everything you have. In case we didn't get the message, Jesus says in verse 33, In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Circle that word, everything. Everything he has. Now, many people will just tune out Jesus right here. This is extreme. I'm going to give Jesus everything I have. It doesn't make sense. I, obviously, he doesn't mean this. But Jesus' words here are very important for us to consider. What does it mean to give up everything you have? What Jesus means is you give everything you have. Your finances, your plans, your family, yourself, your resources. And you say, well, Lord, if I give you everything, then what do I have left? Jesus is saying, give him everything that you have to use for his plans, for his purposes, and not your own. He's saying, I give you everything I have and I ask you to, to tell me what you want me to do with your resources that you have entrusted to me. You see, actually, nothing you have is really your own. Everything we have is a gift of God, given to us, entrusted to us, to use for Him. But too many of us, too many people in the world have said, it's mine. I earned it. I can do with it whatever I please. And God says, no, it's really mine. I've given it to you. I've entrusted it to you to use for me. Give it back to me and let me use it through you for my plans and for my glory. To give Jesus everything we have is to say, I will only give and use my money as you direct. You've given it to me and I'm only going to use it as you direct me to. To give Jesus everything you have is to say, I will only make plans in my life as you direct. Every step in my life, I'll ask, Lord, is this what you want me to do or not? And I will follow what you tell me to do. I will lead my family as you guide me. I will ask, Lord, what do you want to do in my marriage? What do you want me to do with my children? What do you want to do in my household. And that's what it takes to be a disciple of Jesus. We give him everything that we have. And he allows us to use it under his direction. For his plans and his purposes. Let's talk about finances for a minute. How does Jesus want us to use the money he's entrusted to us? How can we find the answer for that? Well, we find the answer by looking at God's word. God's word teaches that a believer is to give a tithe or 10% of their income, as well as free will offerings on top of that to the church where they worship. And God promises that when you do that, you're going to be blessed and that you're going to have more than enough to meet the needs that you have. Now, some would say, well, God only requires the tithe. He only requires 10% and that leaves 90% for me. And God's word says, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. 
Jesus is saying, give your tithes and offerings to the church and seek me what you should do with the rest. Because it's mine too. Now, God's word instructs believers to work so they can provide for their families. Jesus is not saying, give 100% and starve. Give 100% to the church and starve. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying some of it, 10% to the church, 10% in offerings, and the rest you use for my purposes. Some of which is to feed your family, to put a roof over your house, to do the things, put clothes on your back, to do the things that I've called you to do so that you can be a light, so that you can be a witness in the world. God's word instructs us to use our finances to help others. Not just through the church, but what happens if there's a needy person in your life and God says, help that person. Perhaps God wants you to give them something to help them out. It's his money. It's his finances. We use them for Jesus Christ at his instruction. Everything that we have is God's. A disciple of Jesus seeks God for how he uses the resources that God has entrusted to him. And finally, Jesus is saying, make sure your commitment matches your words. Our passage ends in verse 34 and 35. Jesus says, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let him hear. Now, Jesus is saying salt is good uh, for, for a number of things, right? Salt can flavor food. It just tastes a little bit better, doesn't it? Salt can preserve things. If you have enough salt in something, it's not going to spoil as quickly. Now, in Jesus' day, salt was not pure like, you know, we have in the, what, the Blue Morton's thing or whatever. It, it wasn't 99.9% .9 pure. It was impure stuff that they scooped up somewhere. And that kind of impure salt, if moisture got around it, it could leach away the true salt. And it left behind some white stuff. That was good for nothing. It didn't taste good. It was gritty. It didn't preserve anything. It was salt that lost its saltiness. It was useless. The only thing you do with it is just throw it away. And Jesus was saying in the same way, those that call themselves disciples of Jesus Christ should exhibit some good properties in their life. They should be salty. His disciples should give up everything they have. His disciples should follow his commands. His disciples should be people who love other people. His disciples should be kind people. His disciples should be people who help others. They should be salty people. If they don't do the things that Jesus told them to do, if they don't give up everything to follow him as his disciples, then their claims to be his disciples would be worthless. They'd be claiming to be salt, but they're really have nothing good in themselves at all. Earlier in Luke, Jesus put it this way in verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not what I say? Many people call Jesus Lord. Many people say they're Christians uh, or believers. If they do not obey him, if their commitment does not match up with their words, then it's of no use. And so Jesus is exhorting us for ourselves to make sure our commitment matches our words. And also, when we tell other people about Jesus, I think sometimes we just make it seem too easy. Just play this little prayer and then go on your way. And that's not what it's all about. 
People need to count the cost of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. It takes everything you have. And maybe if we presented it that way, a few less people would pray the little prayer. But those that did, that would mean a whole lot more uh, in their lives. What does it take to be a disciple of Jesus? It requires loving Jesus more than anything else. It requires dying to ourselves and choosing to follow him. The cost of being a disciple of Jesus is of giving everything you have to him and allowing him to work through you to use what he's given to you, making sure that our commitment matches our words. Somebody once said, I heard it a long time ago, Jesus is either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. Jesus is either Lord of everything or he is not Lord of anything. That's what it means to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I think we should, everyone here should ask themselves the question, is Jesus Lord of my life this morning? Is he Lord of my life? Have I given him everything that I have? Or am I holding something back? If Jesus isn't Lord of your life, I, I'm going to pray a simple prayer and I'd encourage you to pray along with me, giving your life to him. And, and perhaps there's some little area you've, you feel like God is convicting you of this morning, that you're holding back from him, that you haven't given him everything. And you're a believer, but this morning God is saying, I want you to give me that too. I want you to give me 100%. So let's pray. Let's bow our heads. Father, today, I admit that in the past I've sinned, in the past I've held on to things, and I, I, I thought they were mine. And I haven't, hadn't given them to you. Please forgive me. I, I admit that I've sinned. I admit I've gone my own way. I admit that I've made plans and I haven't consulted with you at all. And I know you call that sin. Please forgive me. I believe that Jesus came to this earth, lived a perfect life, gave us instructions on in how to live, died on the cross, took my sins upon himself, arose from the dead three days later that I might live, that I might follow him and his plans and not my own. Come into my life. I believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior and my Lord. I commit myself to following him each and every day of my life. I leave behind everything that I followed in my own self. And I choose to follow his way and his words with all of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.